2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Last we spoke, I think I was headed out to Abidjan. I am here. I'm in the middle of my trip. I love this city. If you follow me for any length of time, you know I've been talking about Abidjan for years. It's described as the Paris of Africa. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but I will say it's a really dope city. It's very posh here. Lots of very sexy, gorgeous venues with amazing views. Abidjan does have lots of water in the middle of the city. So there's lots of bridges, lots of skyscraper hotels with views of of the water and the lights across the water. Tons of restaurants, tons of art galleries. Um, That's basically what I've been doing the whole time I've I've been here, just gallivanting to art galleries and really cute restaurants and and cafes and such. I'm having a ball. I'm recording this at 5.56 a.m. on Friday. I get up every day, like the latest at 6.30. I think I'm still on East Africa time, which is three hours ahead, but I make most of it. I mean, obviously, I'm up recording the podcast, but I also get up and go to the gym. For 45 minutes every morning the day after i got here the crown season five dropped if you remember on the last episode i kept saying i know something's coming november 9th that i was really excited about and i couldn't remember what it was and it's the crown season five i do 45 minutes of cardio on the treadmill every day and i watch the crown and I try to finish watching it at breakfast or the end of the day when I'm I'm unwinding from gallivanting. I try to see if I can get an episode in. I've made it as far as... I don't think I made it to episode 5. I made it through episode 4 so far. It's so good this season. The Crown is always amazing. It's a, It's a beautiful budget, well spent with amazing actors. But it is really, really, really good this season. I think because it's starting to touch on events that I vaguely remember as a kid. I wasn't super invested in the actual crown as a kid, but the stories coming out of the palace were so crazy, really. I remember the adults in my world talking about various things. But some of it sounds familiar and some of it is just like, girl, what? I won't give you any major spoilers since it just came out, but even in the first two episodes there were just details that came out about Diana and Charles' marriage. That I just had, I had no clue. Like I knew it was bad. I knew about the I knew about the affairs. Diana had her own, but I'm thinking more so Charles and Cabela. But like stuff like Diana threw herself down the stairs when she was pregnant with Prince William. I was like, what? Multiple suicide attempts. I knew about the bulimia. Like I knew she was unhappy. I knew she was depressed. I knew she was miserable. I'm not surprised to learn about the suicide attempts. But I just didn't know. And I was like, what? Crazy shit. Dominic West, a.k.a. McNulty, for all of my Wire fans, is playing Prince Charles this season. He's doing a hell of a job, even though he's light years more attractive than Prince Charles has ever been. I guess King Charles now. Interestingly enough, I actually find myself having a wee bit of sympathy for Prince Charles. He is as miserable in this marriage as Princess Diana is. He's clearly in love with Camilla, who he was in love with before he met Diana. Camilla just wasn't good on paper or in photographs, if we're going to keep it 100. Diana was. And the crown pressured him to marry this, this young girl Great on paper, great in photos, great for PR, and Camilla not so much. And so he went along with it because he's heir to the throne and desperately wants to be on the throne as we're seeing this season. He was always in love with someone else. And you can see how tortured he is also in the marriage to Diana. So I have a the wee bitest of sympathy for him just because on multiple occasions he tried to undo what he agreed to do Um, and I specifically say he because he was aware that Diana was a figurehead Diana wasn't aware she was a baby she wasn't aware that that was her purpose he knew what she was being utilized for used for she didn't know but on multiple occasions he tries to undo it like he went to his mother saying this marriage is falling apart I'm unhappy we're both unhappy we want out And the queen flatly refuses and she's like, no, like we don't believe in divorce. And she's like, your siblings might be able to get away with that, but you are heir to the throne and you cannot get divorced. Like marriage is forever. Not necessarily happy marriage. I mean, happy marriage is a bonus. And I was like, is it? But she was like, marriage is forever and you're going to stay married. And, And as head of Church of England, I will not grant you a divorce. I want to say it's one of... Well, I won't tell you which episode it is, but these are things that were common knowledge, so I don't feel bad speaking about them. But there's an episode that's based on the leaks of a private conversation between Camilla and Charles. He calls her to ask her about a speech that he has coming up because he values her opinion. So it starts off innocently enough. And then, you know, because they're lovers. They're lovers. They basically start, you know, late night pillow talking, except not in person because Camilla is married to someone else. But, you know, they say all the things that, you know, are inappropriate and highly sexually charged and wanting, needing, lusting of people who desire one another, people who are in love with one another. There's lots of I love you's and I miss you's. It's not just a a physical exchange between them. There's a lot of emotion. And that conversation is recorded and eventually made public after Diana and Charles announced their separation. You know, it's highly scandalous and highly embarrassing. I actually just felt a little bad for Charles in that moment. I'm like, you're clearly in love with someone else. And I think... OK, now I have to give like a small thing away. It's about Princess Margaret and Peter Townsend, which I don't I don't necessarily think this is giving it away. If you're a, a fan of The Crown, that was a big love and it was a forever love. And and you could tell even from the way Margaret and Peter acted about one another at the time, they weren't allowed to marry by the crown, by by the queen. Really, it wasn't just a, a, a passing Um, What's the word I want to use? It wasn't lust. It wasn't just an attraction. It was one of those, you know, deep love affairs. In the episode before we get to the leak of this phone conversation between Charles and Camilla, there's the episode about Margaret and how all these years later, she's still affected by being denied this great love of her life and how she regrets it. Everyone thought she would just get over it and she'd move on and and she did. Like she married someone else and she lived out her life and she and Peter didn't speak for for decades. But that really affected her and watching a similar romance for lack of a better word play out with Charles and Camilla, it just gave me a little more sympathy for them. And I know like he's married to Diana and she's married to somebody else. They're both married with kids to other people, but it's so clear that they are in love with each other. It's just a mess. It's just a whole mess. But I actually did have empathy for Charles that I didn't find last season. I guess one of the themes of this show has always been how this duty to the crown and institution crushes people personally and it seems to have crushed up until now everyone except the queen because she's essentially the one calling the shots but you can also see this season how it's starting to weigh on her like there's a conversation like the one I just mentioned when Charles comes to her and says that he wants a divorce and she only has four kids but all of them ended up divorced And so she asked at some point, like, is this an indictment as of us as a family or me as a mother? And I was like, I mean, blessed are those who ask the question, sister, all of your kids end up divorced, all of them pressured into marriage Were they all pressured into keeping up appearances. All of your kids made the same forced error. That is an indictment. I think of maybe not just the mother. It's not like the kids popped out of pod. But the parents or the family or the environment, something's off. I think it's fair to say, but The Crown, so far, I think this is the best season yet. I've said that probably about every season of The Crown, every time it comes out, I'm like, oh my God, season four, better than season three. Oh my God, season three, better than season two. I love this show. I don't really have a particular affinity for the royal family outside of Diana and Harry and Meghan and their ginger-haired children. I do like them, but the rest of them, like in real life, I could take it or leave it. But as a dramatic series, I totally see why Charles was so upset, why the Crown, the in real life Crown, was so upset about this series coming out um, and wanted the disclaimers in front of every episode to remind people that it's fiction. I mean, fiction based on fact, but fiction nonetheless. Um, Because they look awful. They look absolutely awful in the way that they are, you know, ruining people's lives, Charles included. And also, let's just get to it. There's an episode about. If you remember, and I'm sure you do, because most people listening are around my age. There's much talk always about, you know, Princess Diana and her death, her murder, as some people might call it. She wasn't in the car alone. She was in the car with an Egyptian man who was the heir to the Herod's empire. He and his family had done a bunch of other stuff, too. It wasn't just Herod's. And episode three. Maybe I did make it to episode five. Now that I think about it, because episode three is about Dodi and his father, Mumu. If you watch the show, it's an inside joke, but it's about Dodi and his father and how they as an Egyptian family came to be this massive presence among the British. And it's a fascinating story. I won't give it I won't give any of that away. But it was a really smart decision for The Crown. It kind of reminded me of um, on FX, Ryan Murphy, The People versus O.J. Simpson. They spend a significant amount of time talking about Ron Goldman, who was also killed on the night that Nicole Brown Simpson was killed. Everyone always talks about Nicole Brown Simpson. But Ronald Goldman, who was somebody's whole son and whole brother, um, always gets the, the short shift on that. And The Crown does a really good job of making Dodie into a whole person and also introduces the backstory of how Princess Diana came to meet the family or Dodie even. She and the father became fast friends or at least hit it off very quickly at their first encounter but clearly stayed in touch you know as we know from how history played out but it's so good. I, I actually cannot wait to finish recording this and and going to get on the treadmill to watch the next episode. I ain't never been excited to go get on the treadmill. That's how good it is.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
0: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around.
2: Happy Wakanda Forever Day. High on my list of things to do today is to find a movie theater and see if we can get tickets to Wakanda Forever. It'll be in French. I probably won't understand the lick of it. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I want to go for the visuals and I want to support Wakanda Forever worldwide opening weekend. People have already started writing into me. Please do not send me spoilers for this movie. They were like, you know, you've been gushing about wanting to see it and it does not disappoint. I'm going to try really, really hard to see the French version today. If we can get into a theater, it's it's part of my mission for the day. I think I can accomplish this. What else? There's lots of good black news this week. Wakanda Forever coming out obviously counts as, as good black news. Wes Moore, a black man, is the governor of Maryland. The elections were on Tuesday. We still waiting on results for some 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 pivotal states, especially for the Senate. But Maryland came through. They elected their first black governor, only the third black governor in United States history. One of the first ones was, it was a black governor of Virginia. I don't know who the other black governor was. I have to look that up. I didn't do it when I was typing in my notes, my bad. Actually, let's just do that now. Three black US governors first african-american governor lawrence douglas wilder he was the first african-american in the united states to be elected governor and that was virginia and i was like lawrence douglas wilder no douglas wilder okay i'm looking at this on the wall street journal the u.s has elected only two black governors but it doesn't say who they are how is the story about two black governors and you don't even tell me who the black governors are Who was the second black governor? Okay, the second one was Deval Patrick. He was governor of Massachusetts from 2007 to 2015. Wait, I think when they say third black governor, I think they mean elected because I'm like 110% sure New York had a black governor, David Patterson, because I remember the scandal. He wasn't elected per se, but he took office after Spitzer. Spitzer stepped down because of a prostitution scandal and David Patterson became governor of New York. He was the black governor when I was living in New York. I remember when he took office, Oh, this is all coming back now. I remember the press conference with David Patterson and his wife. And they were like, yep, just so you know, people go digging in our shit. Both of us have had affairs previously in our marriage, but everything's fine now. So everybody carry the fuck on. Ain't nothing to see here. David Patterson was also blind. This is all coming back to me now. And I remember at the time people were like, he's blind. And I was like, his eyes don't work. His dick does. The man said he had multiple affairs while married. I also applied for a job to work for David Patterson, but I didn't want to move to Albany. This is when I was still at Harlequin and I was frustrated with my career. And I was trying to think of what else I could do. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go to law school because we talked about how that was always my default. And I'll work in politics because, again, I'm from D.C., like that's the default for everything. Totally forgot he was a black governor. Also with the U.S. elections, I was riding around Abidjan all day on Wednesday with my phone out, checking every 30 minutes to see what's going on with the Georgia elections. I saw that Stacey Abrams lost to Governor Kemp. Governor Kemp, he got reelected. I got to keep reminding myself that Georgia is more than Atlanta. The running joke about living in Atlanta is like, yeah, but when you leave Atlanta, you're still in Georgia. I like Stacey Abrams. I was on this thread on Facebook. One of my Facebook friends was they were trying to figure out, like, why did Stacey Abrams lose the election this time? And they're like so many people love her. But like, why did she lose? So one, as we just spoke about, like there's more to Georgia than Atlanta. There was a theory circulating that black men didn't support Stacey Abrams. The polls came out. Black men overwhelmingly I want to say, was it like 84%, 86% supported Stacey Abrams? It wasn't as much as Black women, but there was a lot of support for her. But there was this guy on the thread, and he was talking about the Stacey Abrams problem. And he was like, you know, one, and this sounds terrible to repeat, but I do think it plays a factor in why she wasn't elected in some ways. And clearly it does, because this is the guy saying like why he didn't vote for her and why, you know, other Black men Which again, the vast majority voted for Stacey Abrams. So this is a a minute subset. But he was like, I'm no real fan of Kemp. But he was like, I'm not voting for Stacey Abrams. One, she's a feminist. And I was like, that's a reason not to vote for a woman? I used to think people were anti-feminist because they were unclear on exactly what feminism actually is they still have these these tropes of angry, bra-burning women that hate men or something. And I was like, oh, that's what you think feminism is, and that's why you hate it. And I was like, when you, you know, present it like that, I could see what the issue is. But then I've come to realize over years that men are actually very clear on what feminism is. The idea of, you know, equal rights for all, choice for all, equal pay for all, pro-choice, I I just said choice, but I meant choices across the board as in women have options, but specifically pro-choice. I thought men didn't get that. They absolutely entirely do. And they hate all of it. A lot of men actually don't want women to have choices. They don't want women to have equal pay because women with decent money and have options. The truth of the matter is, as you can see from the current divorce rates or the current marriage rates, even when women have options and women have money, by and large, they stop getting married or they won't stay married. It's true. I'm not saying all, because I don't think all people are in bad marriages, but there's a huge patriarchy and sexism issue. And when women can opt out of it by being able to financially support themselves to make and have access to We're talking about basic shit that women didn't have 40 years ago. Like in my mother's lifetime, access to lines of credit, credit cards, bank accounts in their own name, ability to purchase a home without your father or husband as a cosigner. When women get options to have control of their lives and make enough money to sustain themselves above a basic poverty line, they make decisions that often don't include men. Or if they do make a decision to include men, they put up with a lot less shit because you don't need someone for survival. You make different decisions and you demand different things of your partner. Like it's not just enough to make money because as a woman, you're like, I make money. You want things like emotional fulfillment. You want things like good treatment. You want things like partnership as opposed to being led and submitting like you want literal equality in all aspects of your life i was under the impression that that men were on some feminists want to run everything they want to do everything they want to control everything and it's not even that like just listening to men they're very clear it's like and i don't mean all men largely the incel devotees of the deceased cult leader which a lot of men follow that philosophy a surprising number it's not like the cult leader actually came up with with any of those ideas on his own. He just amplified them. But I say that to say this guy was talking about Stacey Abrams and he was like one of the reasons that I would never vote for her is because she's a feminist. So then he goes on to talk about she doesn't believe in traditional values. She doesn't have children. The guy felt strongly that that was a woman's role and that that Stacey didn't share his values. She's a woman of a certain age who doesn't have children. And he was just like, no. And then he went on to talk about her physical appearance. And he was like, you know, I think a lot more people would have voted for her if she looked like Keisha Lamp's bottoms, especially if she had her shape. He didn't flat out say it, but I think he was alluding to her weight. I really thought we had evolved past the point as a culture, as a society, as someone running for governor, especially when the current governor is so inept. That you would genuinely care about her intelligence or her track record of getting shit done or her leadership abilities. But he's really sitting here talking about, I mean, the feminism part is is a philosophy and an approach that he doesn't agree with. That part is disturbing, but that part I can actually sort of deal with. But her appearance this is what we're voting people into office based off of. I think we all learned through COVID, like the importance of a governor when it comes down to making decisions. Like, you know, some people were like, you have to wear a mask. Some people were like, fuck it. It's a free for all. Largely the safety of your community during COVID boiled down to who your governor was. And I was like, and we're still making decisions about elections, particularly with women about, their appearance and whether they have kids. I appreciated his honesty, but I also was just like, yo, we're fucked. Like, we ain't progressing at all. And further evidence of that is... We've talked so much in the last couple months about Reverend Warnock and particularly Herschel Walker and his hidden children scandals and his abortion scandals and how Republicans who you know are supposed to be family values and anti-abortion were just like, yeah, we're going to stick beside him. He, he violates basic tenets of what you say you believe in. Yeah, OK, sure, whatever. We're going to stick beside him because they want control of the Senate. But somehow the Senate race in Georgia... Last I saw, Warnock had received 49.4% of the vote and Herschel Walker was 48.6. Warnock, who can form full sentences and also currently serving in the Senate. So a track record of like, I can actually do this job is up by four fifths of a percentage point over someone with a mush mouth and plagued with scandal. I don't understand Georgia, man. I really don't. And just in terms of numbers for the vote, Warnock was up by about 35,000 votes. There's another candidate in the race who got, I think, 2.1% of the vote, an independent. I have no idea what this person's name is. But because neither Warnock or, or Walker got over 50% of the vote, then they have to do a runoff between these two for December 6th. And I was like, are you kidding me? The Senate is still further in flux, whether it's going to be a Republican Senate or a Democratic Senate. We're still waiting on results from Nevada and Arizona as well. So which way the Senate goes, if the Republicans can get to 51, is still anybody's guess. It really boils down to to Georgia. They have a pretty good idea of which way Nevada and Arizona are going to swing. One is going to do Republican, the other is probably going to do Democrat. But Georgia is the deciding factor, again, whether it can be flip blue for the Senate. So I'm gonna just pray and send money to Ralph Warnock. If you got a little extra change laying around, whether you live in Georgia or not, he does need our help. They sent me an email the other day and they said, can you donate $5 and we could split it between Warnock and um, there was another woman that they mentioned. And I was like, I think I can send more than $5, but if you only got $5, that's fine. I'm gonna send a little more, but if you only got five, five will do. That's what they're asking for in these emails. And I was like, good Lord, this is desperate. But desperate times, desperate measures.
0: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful
2: day!
0: It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG 13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
2: We're still in good black news this week, even though I don't know discussing the political situation in Georgia counts as such, but okay. Dave Chappelle and Black Star, Most Deaf and Talib Kwali are headlining Saturday Night Live. Dave Chappelle doesn't surprise me, even though he's been murdered in controversy. He just seems very Teflon. I don't hate Dave Chappelle. I think Dave Chappelle is problematic, but I still think he's smart and I still think he's funny. I do think he has serious trans issues, which we've discussed on, on previous episodes at length. I was more surprised that Black Star was going to be on Saturday Night Live. That was one of my favorite albums from, I want to say, two thousand ninety nine. I think it came out, if I recall correctly, that album came out when I was living in London and I came back right before Christmas and my parents asked me what I wanted for Christmas and I gave them a list of CDs to buy because when I was in London, a bunch of great albums came out in fall 99 and I missed like a bunch of American music and when I came back, people were talking about stuff or rapping along the stuff and I had no idea what it was but that Black Star album, I wore that and Supreme Clientele out. Oh my god. That Black Star album. Actually I started playing songs from it. When I was in Kenya, when I was doing my reels and stories, I started putting Black Star songs over my reels. Amazing production. It's a really good album. Not the biggest fan of Talib Kwali now. But at the time, huge. Huge. He's still a great rapper. He's just the way he conducts himself. Online, I think before he got kicked off Twitter. Didn't he get kicked off Twitter for harassing this woman for like a year and change? But yeah, some personal shortcomings, Uh, but a hell of a rapper. Doesn't that describe most rappers? I think like everybody except like Method Man, who was on his Sherry show. Fine as a fuck. My God, Method Man is fine. That shit don't make no sense. This woman said, (laughs) I think it was on Facebook. She said, if Method Man was a religion, I'd be at altar call every day. And I was like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, pretty much. Yep, yeah, pretty much. Yep. Mm-hmm. Clifford Smith Jr. Just been fine his whole life. Don't make no damn sense. I have loved that man literally since I was like 15 years old. Almost 30 years. Uninterrupted. I love him. Speaking of people I love, there's a Nas album that drops today, actually. If I wasn't on here talking to y'all, I'd be previewing the new Nas album. I should probably listen to that on a treadmill. I'm not going to, though. I'll use that as my ride around music today. It's King's Disease 3. I think we talked previously about this album coming out. Y'all know I wore King's Disease 2 out. Short of Nas' debut, I think that might be Nas' best album. In my opinion. I played that one more than I did Nas' first album. It's true. But I love me some Nas. I really do problematic personal life although he may have allegedly there were some uncomfortable allegations made some time ago they were not proven they were allegations Nas flatly denies them if we stopped listening to everybody it was problematic the the airwaves would be barren last but not least our favorite show or at least my favorite show I won't speak for everybody because the crown is actually really high up there reasonable doubt has me in a chokehold right now I love that show It was bought to stream on Hulu. So it was just it was going to just be a streamer only show. But apparently it's doing so well and it's produced by Kerry Washington and Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore's done a bunch of stuff, but he also was the producer on um, Insecure. He helps greenlight a lot of big black projects. He throws his expertise and his um, his good name in the industry. Behind a lot of of projects and helps them get made. But he did that for Insecure, and he also has done that for Reasonable Doubt. But Reasonable Doubt is actually headed to ABC, at least the premiere episode, I guess, to see how it does. But I love that it's doing so well that it's getting a prime time. It's late, it's 10 o'clock, but still, that it's getting a prime time debut. I hope that means we get a season two, because everybody on that show is dysfunctional, except for the daughter. I mean, like Jax's daughter, not Jax as a daughter everybody else on this show is completely dysfunctional but I really enjoy all these dysfunctional people even a rich black guy whose case I don't care about and his terrible wife them I don't particularly care about the Jack's entire case but I still want them on the show and for the show to get a season two that's the only reason I talk about the show the way that I do because I really like it and I need other people to watch it so that it can be successful and get a season two I'm very selfish about this and my adoration for Michael Ely I like what I like I support what I like, evidently. What else? I could just leave it at that. We talked about a bunch of stuff so far. I'll save a couple things for next episode. I do want to mention Minister Louis Farrakhan. Black folks just call him Farrakhan. He entered the chat to talk about Kyrie and and Yay. I saw someone promoting that he was going live to discuss these two. I was going to call them characters, like old folks call black people who, you know, be doing the most. But I saw the uh, the advertisement and I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like Kyrie and Ye deserve a, a Farrakhan address. Really? Farrakhan is problematic for all the obvious reasons. There's a long list of them. High on the list is the anti-Semitism. I also like him. For many reasons, one of them is he scares the fuck out of white people. It amuses me to a degree. There's many things that I find problematic about Farrakhan, but I also respect about Farrakhan. The Million Man March is is high on the list. Like He did something for black people that we desperately needed at the time. NOI in, in general has shown up for black folks in times of need. Both culturally and on an individual basis. I think they provide a structure, problematic in some ways, but they do provide a much needed structure for black men, especially, to work out some of their stuff. I, I wanna listen to Farrakhan's entire address. I don't know when I'm gonna get a chance to do that, but I wanna listen to it because he chooses his words very carefully, um, and people choose their sound bites of him very carefully. Like there's definitely an agenda that he has and there's an agenda that people, by people I mean non-black people, have about him. He can speak for two hours and say a lot of things that make good good sense and maybe say one thing that's controversial and that controversial thing is what's highlighted. I want to be informed when I speak about him. That said, just looking at the context of two black men murdered in controversy about being anti-Semitic. I don't know that Farrakhan entering the chat in their defense really helps their cause. Minister Farrakhan presented this address as caping because that's what it is for Kyrie and Ye speaking up for them. Same difference because they're black men in crisis. And he says that they're being unfairly persecuted in the clip that I saw, he repeatedly talked about how they're trying to break Kyrie Irving. And he implied Kanye West as well. We've discussed Kanye and Kyrie in detail in previous episodes. You know where I stand on this. I don't think that there's an attempt to break them. I think people are sick of their shit and they're dealing with the consequences of their behavior, but I don't think this is like some buck breaking thing. I keep seeing people talking about what's happening to Kyrie and Ye. They're comparing it to Kuta Kente being beaten until he calls himself Toby. And I was just like, Are you fucking kidding me right now? Are you fucking kidding me right now? I don't see it that way at all. But Minister Farrakhan does, and he, he spoke out in their defense. I would say to some degree, because Minister Farrakhan is a very smart man, very smart. Even if I don't agree with a good like half of what he says, I don't ever doubt his intelligence, his fact checking, perhaps his beliefs. We'll talk about that in a second. But but again, I don't doubt his intelligence and the way that he is able to assess how he plays the media. So he spoke out under the guise of this much-needed defense of these black men. And I really kind of see it as opportunism. I don't know how the black guy who's widely perceived as anti-Semitic jumping into the conversation to defend the guys who are being called anti-Semitic helps their cause. My thought is he's an opportunist and he just felt like this was a good way to insert himself into the conversation, which he's really good at. He really is. I don't think this lands the way that he expected it to. I don't know. I'll also say this, whether you believe Farrakhan is, is, is anti-Semitic or not, one of the founding beliefs of the Nation of Islam, essentially that white people were made in a lab and are a science experiment gone wrong. Farrakhan jumping into the conversation to, to quote and unquote help Ye and Kyrie, I, d- I don't know that actually helps. There was something else I wanted to say about Farrakhan. What was it? I didn't write it down in my notes. Somebody else pointed out, and I saw this a bunch in the comments on the platform that I was reading about Farrakhan's address. And they were like, you really combed your hair and and set up your lights to address Kyrie and Kanye or Yay? Where was this for for Brittany Griner, who I genuinely do believe is being persecuted? Yes, she had weed on her in a foreign country. But we talked about before, there have been other people who had weed on them in Russia and served maybe three months or three weeks, and then they came home. Brittany Griner was sentenced to nine years. She appealed, which we talked about the appeal. We never talked about what happened with it. Her appeal didn't go through. It was October 25th. Her case was up for appeal. She lost, and as of earlier this week, she was being sentenced to a penal colony in Russia, so essentially a work colony. She goes somewhere, and and she does 10, 12-hour day grind doing whatever they assign her to do. That's Brittany Griner's current situation. And people were like, you, you're coming out to talk about two black men, the, all the drama that they're going through, they've essentially brought on themselves. But Brittany Griner, who did, who did a bad thing, like I'm, she shouldn't have had the weed on her. She also shouldn't be overpunished or being used as leverage against the United States because Russia's mad at us, also because they want us to release an arms dealer. Like she's being used as a pawn. Russia doesn't give two shits about the amount of weed she actually has. I was like, where was Farrakhan when when it came time for election? you got this massive platform. You've got the ear of black men. Where was your address on telling people to get their ass up and go vote? You decided to jump in the conversation for Kyrie and Kanye? And look, I'll be the first because people be like, Demetria, why didn't you talk about this? Demetria, why didn't you talk about that? Some things I care about more than others. I do pick and choose what I talk about. I can't cover everything, but there are some things that I'm just personally more interested in than others. So to a degree, I'm like, well, Farragon can talk about what he wants to talk about. But I just think it's interesting in the same way that people think it's interesting what I choose to what I choose to speak on and what I leave out. I just think it's interesting that like you had nothing to say about Britney Griner. You had nothing to say about voting, but you want to pop in to defend two men who are being accused of anti-Semitism and Farrakhan constantly denies he was like I am not anti-semitic he'll be the first to get up and be like they accuse me of being anti-semitic but I, I am not anti-semitic in any way so you don't believe you're anti-semitic you deny being anti-semitic and you sit quietly th- through a whole bunch of other shit and the one time that you decide to speak up to defend two guys who are de- who are accused of being anti-semitic or in fairness He could be aligning himself with them because he was like, I know what it feels like to be called anti-Semitic when you aren't. That could be part of it. Or he could just be on some opportunist shit and he wanted to jump in a conversation. I'm hypothesizing. I'll make a final determination on that um, once I get a chance to watch the entire address. Farrakhan is long-winded. I hope this ain't one of them three-hour addresses. It's just like I ain't sitting through that three-and-a-half-hour Amazon documentary. Oh, this is what I wanted to say when I couldn't remember what I was going to say earlier. I really got to start writing this stuff down. I did see a clip where Farrakhan was talking about Kyrie is being persecuted because he's trying to learn his history. Which I have, obviously, I mean, look, look how I spend my life. I have no issue with people trying to learn their history. But in your search for history, and I say this not about Kyrie, but I say this to everyone. In your search for history, I would just like to remind people... There are actual educational resources that exist. You don't have to watch random unfact-checked musings on YouTube or, or or Amazon. There's this thing called books from from educated people, people who have dedicated their life to research, fact-checking, and accuracy. Those things exist. There are museums. Th- those exist as well. Like you don't just have to go find like the most fringe of shit. Just because it's fringe. Just because it's controversial, just because it's unpopular, doesn't mean it's also accurate. There's got to be a level of discernment that we start using when we talk about history or facts. This, this alternative fact shit, this this hotep shit that used to be on the fringes that, that Kyrie and and, and Ye are, are trying to bring to the mainstream. That that corner and barbershop logic, that's what Kyrie and Ye are trying to discuss in the mainstream. The shit doesn't make sense on the corner and it doesn't make sense in the barbershop. And it definitely doesn't make sense in the mainstream when people actually get to fact checking. The facts don't add up, people. We're going to talk about this little racist white girl who just got kicked out the University of Kentucky next week. And we're going to talk about the shit show that Twitter is. And not even just like as actual Twitter with the N-bomb everywhere, but actually like the shit show that it is inside Twitter. I'm sure there'll just be more of a shit show next week. We won't lose anything by waiting. And I'm sure there's more to come with this University of Kentucky girl. That woman said nigga with the ER like for 10 minutes straight. And then after she got arrested and kicked out of school, got on social media and was like, I am not a racist. And I was like, oh, bitch, please. That's another word I'm bringing back into my lexicon because sometimes there's just no better replacement. All right, y'all. That's not everything, but that's what it is for this week. I'm going to get this out to you later today. Me and my, my production company, we've, we've had to come to Jesus with one another. So hopefully they get my shit straight and I'll get their shit straight. The podcast should run a little more smoothly going forward. Happy Wakanda Day, Wakanda forever. Rest in peace, my King T'Challa. Chat with Bozeman in real life and in film. Oh, I still so got to see this film today.
1: Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.